This is One in 44, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. One in 44 is a weekly show devoted to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to One in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And I'm speaking today with Rob Bernstein, author of a book called Uniquely Normal, and uh, with some exciting news that I'll let you share about something that's occurring just today as we speak. Um, but uh, Rob, I know that, that your book has won multiple awards. I know that you have um, a really interesting story, um, both professionally and personally, about kind of what led you to where you are today and what you're doing. And I think we should start with just you talking um, about as much of that background as you can. Well, let's see. Where do I? Well, as far as the awards are concerned, that's interesting, I think. I won a couple of awards for parents. Parenting. Mm-hmm. When I first my my book uniquely normal first won the award for parenting. I said there must there must be a mistake. This is about working with autistic kids, but this was parenting and nothing to do with autism. So what the book is about, what I'm about, is approaching these kids by joining them. About my background, I've been in the field for 40 years, and my I have an, my own kid is on the spectrum, mm-hmm. and and just went through his life. You know, now he's fine. Yeah. You know, he went to a really great graduate school and a whole bit, a whole bit. But I've gone through that as a parent. And and when I first started working at this camp, actually, mm-hmm. uh, called HASC, H-A-S-C, in, the, in Liberty, New York, I did things that were getting kids to talk for the first time. Really? Just remarkable things. So whatever, that might have been 30, 40 years ago, people are saying, you got to write this up. <laughs> Finally... I wrote this book uniquely and, and don't tell anybody because this is kind of between you and me. Right. And anybody else who's listening. <laughs> they'll, they'll forget. I just don't. Um, about five or six of the stories in that book are about these kids that I knew 30, 40 years ago. So okay. the stories are fresh in my mind. Mm-hmm. So it, it just kind of evolved in, in that way. The, um, the, the thing that, that I want to emphasize the idea of this parenting, if I can, Keep on talking for a minute. I know we just just having a conversation is that the approach is to join these kids to as as the first line of my forward by when Lawson says, let the child lead. And when they do lead, be ready to follow. Okay. so um, I'm going to ask you a question. Sure. I know you're supposed to be interviewing me, but I'm I'm going to be asking you. I ask you now: um, Should a child listen to you when they because you said so? Because you said something, should a kid just listen to you because you said so? <laughs> well, I have two kids. That's not fair. <laughs> um, should a child listen just because I say so? You don't have to answer that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think so. It does that doesn't mean that they can't respond with a question or ask why. Right, right. And because you're coming from your own background, that's what happened with you. And and it, these are, these kids are normal kids. But let's think about that for a minute. If you when you work with these kids on the spectrum, and you know this too, <clears throat> but I'm just playing with you. I'm having fun here. <laughs> that a lot of times they're black and white thinkers. So let's think about this. Let's say the kid does listen to you. Because you said so. So he's maybe listening to you out of fear or out of pleasing you, mm-hmm. but not listening to you from within themselves with what they want to do for themselves. Mm-hmm. So now they're trained to listen to do things for that other person. Okay. Think about that. Your kids who are normal will reflect back onto themselves and 
understand who they are. And, and But no, a lot of these kids will just lock into that. Okay. And, we, and now I have kids, kids, people in their 30s mm-hmm. that are getting abused in a sexual way because they've been trained to listen to, listen to, listen to, and they can't decide and self-advocate. Okay. You see okay. what I mean? Okay. So it becomes dangerous, traumatic. We want these kids to to speak from themselves and not to always do things for somebody else. So okay. it's an unfair, it's sort of a trap. I sort of trapped you with the answer. <laughs> but all, no, I, it's okay. So, you're, you're, it's going to be an interesting discussion because I, I, so, so far what you're talking about to me, I, I do get it. Um, and I, I, and I've heard this before. I, I, this is a conversation that I've been sort of paying attention to. My question then would be, if somebody is, is trying to teach somebody who's, you know, challenged by, let's say profound autism is non-vocal, um, not, not, you know, potentially not going to where IDD, right They're They've got autism and an intellectual disability. Um, and they're potentially going to, to be with a caregiver, generally speaking, 24 seven, right. For, you know, um, and you're teaching them something out of safety, you know, not to, not to bolt across the road and across a, a, a train track, for example. Um, and, and I really mean this. this, this is a sort of a conundrum. So where is the line? I'm just curious in your mind, where is the line around the importance of teaching safety in that way and self-preservation and self and wellness um, with also what you just talked about, which I am a huge, you know, very much in favor of self-advocacy, independence, a deeper understanding of, of, you know, my voice matters, your voice matters. Well, let's talk about that. I find that fascinating. You're good. You are good. You're quite, you're got me because as with everything else there's an exception to my philosophy and that is if the kid's going to kill himself by walking across the street we got to do anything we can okay to get this kid not to go across the street so my idea of oh they have to internalize and they like hey it's going to kill himself we got to use what i what you can call at the sort of the opposite end of my approach at least philosophically is like that behavioral approach, the reward punishment approach, which right. I don't adhere to in general. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to safety, and I've had kids who would just bolt out of a classroom and like, wait, wait a second, and onto the street. So you're right. When it comes to safety, anything goes. Yeah, to- it's, it, it, well, it, it is, and it's a, it's a timely conversation, and it's interesting. So, um, would you say that when you're when you're writing and when you're working, because the camp you're talking about, um, I know where Liberty is. I don't know that camp in particular, but um, but you know, I worked in camps growing when I was younger too, and I remember working with children, uh, and I was a teacher for a long time also. And 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 the students that I worked with were not um, they they didn't have a diagnosis, but there was certainly a range of kids, some of whom you really had to work very hard to help them feel safe enough to talk with you and to um, and to advocate for themselves. So you'd watch kids maybe get bullied a little bit or or ignored, and you know you felt for them and wanted to help. So so I think I you know I definitely have a, a huge respect for for the creativity and the energy that's involved in working with kids to help them see that they're valuable and that their voice really matters socially. Um, Would you say that when you're talking about working with the, uh, with people with autism, that you're more focused on working with, um, with a a vocal, less behaviorally involved population? And I only ask that because I want to put context around this conversation for our listeners. All of the above. Okay. All of the above. I can give you a, uh, an example with a kid 
kid who has a severe behavior problem in school, mm-hmm. I can do that. No, whatever um, you want to do. I'm just now I'm just having a conversation. It's reminds me of, of different things, but I like this example. Mm-hmm. And this this kind of gives you a sense of my philosophy too, and where the book is at and where the manual is at. Mm-hmm. Is that this kid absolutely loved baseball, loved it. Mm-hmm. So um, so the behavioral model, you love it, great. You'd be good for today. And then at resource, you could play uh, like at, at recess, you could play baseball. Use it as a reinforcer. Right. I just the opposite. I said, you love baseball. Let's play baseball. And I'm going to use that for some really significant mm-hmm. change internally. Mm-hmm. Right? So, I mean, this is a kid whose teacher would go over to him to help him. And this, I, this is you're getting the second hand, but I got this first hand from the teachers from the school. Yeah. Um, the teacher would go over to help him and he would throw over the desk kick the garbage can and lose an hour and a half of instruction every day, 45 minutes that period. Then he was punished another 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. First hand, if it sounds unbelievable, I'm sorry. This is first hand <laughs> information. Right. So I'm, so we play baseball right now. How I'm not going to trap you again, <laughs> but it makes it an, you know, it's an interesting conversation. You forget mm-hmm. me at the end of this, but I do it purposely. So how do you catch a baseball on the side or right in front of you when mm-hmm. you catch a fly ball? And the answer is you catch it in front of you yes. because you could you could see the ball better. But the kid's catching it on the side because he doesn't want it to hit his head or whatever. We all go through everyone who's played literally, you know. So this kid's doing this and he's missing some, he's catching some. I said, look, I could show you a better way. Do it. Don't worry about it hitting. Just catch it in right in front of you. And he caught almost everyone. I'm I'm hitting him out like mm-hmm. you know, that. So at the end of this, he says, "Thank you. I joined him. I'm engaged with him." There's a flow. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is just an example of all those critical things about what my approach is all about. Right. Mm-hmm. Just an example. And now he says, thank you. And I say to myself, I got him. Mm-hmm. He's, there. He's with me. I could yeah. say almost anything to him and he will listen to me because of that flow. Right. So I say to him, you know, your teacher's doing the same thing. So he says, what are you talking about? I said, when, when, you know, I, I showed, I asked you, you, you want to know, had want to have a better way of catching the ball. I don't know if I left that out of the story, but I asked him, I could show you a better way. He said, yes. And I said, told him about catching the ball in front of him. I said, your teacher's doing the same thing. All she's doing is trying to show you a better way to do the math problem. That's all the teacher, exactly the same thing as what we just did. And he goes, yeah. I said, yeah. Then this is critical. I asked the kid, what do you, you know, he's now he's, he gets it. Mm-hmm. What do you want the teacher to say to you when she comes over to help you? Yeah. So now the kid is in control mm-hmm. of that situation. Okay. And kids will say bizarre things. In this case, the kid said, well, just tell the teacher that I have a better way of, of doing it. I call the teacher seven o'clock at night, mm-hmm. explain the whole thing. She gets it. I say, just to tell, just tell the kid that mm-hmm. if it doesn't work, just walk away and then we'll think of something else. Yeah. And she did. And 99% of the tantrum stopped. Really? So, but the idea is that he, he, something from within him changed his attitude towards his teacher. Oh, that's what she's doing. Mm-hmm. So it's not changing his behavior as much as changing something from within himself. Like, oh, I understand it from the teacher's point of view. Right. You use the the shared experience that was that was really relevant to him of baseball and learning something through baseball. We he we he sort of had to recognize or was put in a position where he was uh, had the opportunity to recognize that you knew a better way to do something than he did and you tied it to a situation that was already kind of high intensity, high emotion um 
very difficult to sort of step out of, but you tied it to that situation, thereby giving him that one piece, which was, so you say what, 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 it, what she needs to say to you for you to make that correlation again, back to the baseball. That's perfect. I'm yeah. going to have to quote you on that. Cause you said, <laughs> well, well, I think, I, I mean, look, I get this. I, I enjoy these conversations because, um, well, we'll get into that in the second half. Well, let me, let me just, let me just say one thing. Um, can, can I, can I bring you back at the, at the after the half, we got to stop for a second and then we'll, sure. but we have, we have another half show and we'll do it then. Uh, this is one in 44 weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and we'll be right back. Alone, our reach is limited. No matter how great our intentions, on our own, we can only stretch so far. But at Rotary, we believe the right group of people working together can make our communities, our world, a better place. Rotary is a worldwide network of community volunteers dedicated to helping people in need. Learn more at rotary.org. Rotary, humanity in motion. And now, 1 in 44 continues on 100.7 WHUD. This is a weekly community affairs program presented by the Anderson Center for Autism. Welcome back to 1 in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and I'm speaking with author and all-around interesting gentleman um, with lots of interesting background, Rob Bernstein, um, author of Uniquely Normal, uh, award-winning book. And coming out today, you have a manual associated with that book. So congratulations on that. Um, and you can certainly feel free to talk about the manual or we can just, you were going to say something right right before the break, continuing our discussion. Right. Yes. The manual, as you said, is coming out today, but just to tie up, tie tie our discussion, our previous discussion, Yeah. the idea, and you, you said it perfectly, letting the kid lead, letting the child lead, be ready to follow, and then Institute change. And that flow really creates that significant change. We're not talking about understanding the color blue. There's some, some change from within. The manual was generated because the book uniquely normal, it won six awards. And, you know, you know, I mean, now with the, you know, all over the world, it's, I mean, it's all, it's all wonderful, right? Mm-hmm. But people ask, if you read the book, maybe if you read the book, you would see, and I've gotten this from professionals, I see your method in every single chapter. I I see what's underlying, and I get what you're doing. But many people say, I want to step by step. I want you to just bring me step by step. Break by it step. down for my, right, for my, my situation. My, right. my, my okay. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and that's what the manual does. It's literally step by step. I give you the materials like uh here's a simple one you know i mean everyone everyone right. has access to this everyone who's had a one-year-old had that toy <laughs> you, you, you should get it for whatever it is ten dollars yeah. you know whatever right right and um and but it's not the toy it's how you use it mm-hmm. you know i i own the term chest therapy i do remarkable things as you like in this baseball example mm-hmm. you know with chess, and then I have a parent saying, "Oh, I'm going to play chess with my kid." No, no, no. It's not. It's not the chess or the material that's therapeutic. It's under. It's what you do with it, and how you approach, and how you engage your child, okay. right. and how you create that flow. Right. So that. So that's literally step by step by step. What do you do with something like that? What do you do with a magic trick, a card trick? Everyone mm-hmm. has a deck of cards, and how do you use that? to create the step-by-step approach, like what I have in my uh, table of contents here, magic tricks, organizing thinking, 
verbal self-direction, mm-hmm. verbal expression. What does it have to do with magic trick? But that's, you know, I'm using that as a tool. Well, to right. The point, right, the point is almost that it doesn't have to do with magic tricks. It has to do with the other things that you were just talking about. Magic is the, is the uh, conduit. conduit. Yeah. Right? I love, uh, yeah. Right. It's the platform. I think, you know, I, yeah. I think that, um, that, that, uh, you know, this is all, it's really fascinating to me. And, and I just wanted to get it out on the, uh, right at the beginning that, you know, where, where I work at Anderson Center for Autism, we serve children with profound autism who are, um, who are in that situation by and large, where the importance of uh, keeping their, their phys- them physically safe and, and, uh, and not, you know, running off campus and, and being, being able to go on a home visit and know that they need to stay with their adult or their caregiver or, or you know, near their house and their, wherever their safe space is, is, is a real thing. It's a daily thing. But in terms of, um, you know, autism as a spectrum disorder and, and so many people being affected by autism, that's the name of the show is one in 44 because one out of 44 children are diagnosed in this country every day, de- every year. Um, and that number keeps changing. There's room for so many um, approaches. Mm-hmm. That, uh, you know, the idea and, and as a former educator um, and, and the daughter of two educators, uh, the idea of joining with with the child and following their lead not only can obviously have very impactful uh, therapeutic um, benefits, as you're talking about and you write about. But also, um, let's not forget that for the person who's, who's engaging with that child, it can also be incredibly rewarding and fun. And um, and really meaningful, I think, in terms of reinforcing uh, what you do with your with your professional life. I mean, you started when you were a camp counselor, right? So, yeah, fun. Fun is the operative word. <laughs> Everything. I mean, I have, wouldn't be doing this for 40 years if it weren't fun. And I want people to have fun. I want the parents. I want the teachers to have fun with this. You're right. And I'll give you an example with more severely uh, autistic kids, because you, you mentioned that a couple of times, mm-hmm. like, how do we get language from within themselves, as opposed to a flashcard, you know, say house or dog or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, this is my secret weapon. I'm sharing this with you. Okay, I'm sharing. I'm, sharing <laughs> I'm ready. So, so here's this, this, this girl. Would come it, looks, it looks a bit like a watering can. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like you. You're you're good. <laughs> I love it. That has nothing right. So she comes in every time you know, routinely water. Mm-hmm. And so one day, what do I do? I don't put the water in it, you know? Mm-hmm. So so now she's looking at it. Okay. Now here's if I've done this many times and I talked with Temple Grandin once because she wrote the forward to my books yeah. and we talked together. Yeah. And so I have six hundred, six hundred, no, eight hundred, yeah, six hundred people I asked this question to. And um and and I that is okay. What do I say? The kid's looking at this. What do I say? I think I know what's in her mind. Mm-hmm. Like, where's the water? But I'm not going to tell her that. Mm-hmm. I want her to have language from within. This is mm-hmm. this is like her first word we're talking about. Okay. This doesn't uh, look. Let's be honest. I'm telling you the story because it worked. Yeah. I might have done something like this thirty times and it didn't work. So what? So what? At the end of one or two sessions, I'm getting her to do this because mm-hmm. thirty times doesn't it doesn't take that long. So she's looking at it. I say nothing. So that's the trick question. Why do I say nothing? Mm-hmm. As long as I see her thinking and she's like reflecting, right? She says, 
empty. Ooh. I'm going, what? I would never, you know, empty. I mean, that's not on the first 50 words of what a kid should say for their first words, empty. Right. And I'm going, I got this. The log jam is broken. Mm-hmm. She's associating language from within herself, mm-hmm. that word yeah. empty. So w- when I'm working with these severely autistic kids, it's not like they need me to tell them what to say. Mm-hmm. I want the language to come from them. Yeah. But, so she's problem solving, right? Right. That whole but time looking at it. Mm-hmm. But the philosophy is the same, that, that she's engaged. It's like yeah. the baseball example. Yeah. She's engaged. I'm joining her. I'm with her. I know what's in her head. And I'm giving her that opportunity mm-hmm. to express herself from within. Right. Right. And, and I think I think that there are ways to look at behavior. Um, obviously, I mean, you know, at Anderson, we, we, we often... Uh, we utilize uh, ABA and we, we do um, talk about the, that behavior, all behavior is communication. Now, so you asked before, you mentioned before about, um, you know, somebody who's really um, challenged vocally, maybe doesn't express vocal language and is behaviorally involved and, and communicating from within. And I would argue that I have seen firsthand also um, students and adults utilizing different behavioral techniques to express their own thoughts and feelings and opinions. And it's not as rote as just repeating what somebody's showing them. Um, sometimes there's different techniques that are used to, to teach um, the meaning of certain words in the English language. But, um, but I, do, I do see some overflow here and some overlap in what you're talking about when it comes to the different ways to, um, it's, I don't know, I, I want to say it's like almost different ways to, to solicit language from somebody, regardless of where they are uh, on the spectrum or not. Um, so I don't know. I just I, I just wanted to say that. I don't know if that resonates with you. No, but it, I think it does. And I, and I love that. And, it, and, and there's a huge overlap. And we're doing more or less this. When you say expressing feelings and emotions, I've talked with people who are experts in ABA. The first thing, I should have taped this. The first <laughs> thing this person said was, um, all right, we're talking about things we could observe and measure. Everything else, we she literally said this. Yeah. Everything else we don't pay attention to. It has to be observable and measurable. And you, Eliza, just said, wait a second. So, and this is true for a lot of ABA people now. They're coming around to expressing thoughts, emotions, and feelings. Like, all right, that's not, I don't know what you want to call it. You know, because I've had webinars with this guy, Ron Leaf, who worked with Lovas. Mm-hmm. You know, low, for, you know, at UCLA. Sure. Yeah. You know, and, and we had these kinds of discussions. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, I, I'm an optimist. I think that it's, it means that um, the more discussions that are being had, the more conversations like the one we're having right now, I think the more commonalities and similarities and openness to the idea that there's a multitude of approaches and it's not one or the other. No. Um, certainly, you know, the work that goes on here at Anderson is not about, simply what's measurable and observable. There's a piece of that when it comes to um, certain aspects of of teaching. Um, But let's be honest, when you're in a classroom with people who are are, uh, neurotypical students in a public school classroom, those teachers are collecting observable and measurable data also through through testing and all sorts of things. Um, It doesn't have to be one or the other, but I see every day um, students and adults that are coming into even the building that I'm in, which is mostly administrative, 
and they're doing their pop-up, you know, little cafes and they're doing, um, you know, uh, they've gardened and they're doing a plant sale or something. And all you have to do is read the smile and the sparkle in their eye or, you know, the wave hello to see the pride and joy and excitement that they're feeling and experiencing by way of, I grew this, I harvested it, and now I'm going to get ready to sell it as, at a plant sale. It's um, so that's just one tiny example, but I think, I think that it's through probably more dialogues like this that are hopefully, you know, yeah. as, as my friend Stephen Shaw said, who, um, who wrote, you know, autism for dummies, he says, look, whatever works, that's really comes down to whatever <laughs> works for that kid. And there are multiple sure. approaches and I'm, I'm presenting this, this angle to, to that, but I want to, we're, we're just about out of time. I got to warn you because we've had one, last, one last thing <laughs> that you mentioned having a safe place. Mm-hmm. And I love that a safe space a safe, and, and for a kid to feel safe, the parent, when they're engaging with the kid, they, it has to not be judgmental. It, it's engaging them in whatever they're doing. It mm-hmm. could even be a video game. Yeah. You know, connecting in the, the kid needs to feel that kind of acceptance and being safe. Mm-hmm. And that's a good place to start when you're joining your child. Try not to have an agenda or, or a curriculum or yeah. whatever, right? Give yourself up in a sense and let your child join the child. Yeah. And that creates the safe space. It just an example. I agree. And, and, and it also creates a quality of life for everybody. Not everything, not every day should be in a classroom. Not every day should be lounging around, you know, doing very little. There should be some level of balance and, and exploration of everything. And I think that's a nice way to end our conversation. No, it's not. Cause I have to say one more thing. Oh, one more thing. When the parent does this, mm-hmm. there's a calming effect within the parent too. Yeah. And the kid feels that. Yeah. So that's what creates this healthy learning environment. Well, uh, Rob Bernstein, this has been a really fun conversation for me. I appreciate it. Um, you wrote Uniquely Normal, and that's available. I know it's available on Amazon. I think you have a website as well, which is... Right. It's uh, RJB, my initials, Robert J. Bernstein, RJB at autismspeech.com. Okay. RJB at autismspeech.com. Got it. Perfect. And, uh, and check out the manual. And it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for your time today, Rob. Appreciate pleasure being on the show. Thank you. This is one in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski. And remember, Anderson cares. You've been listening to one in 44, a weekly presentation of the Anderson Center for Autism. Join us for another edition of the show at this time next weekend.